This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and I pray that you'd help us to receive from you what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When my son Jack was four years old, we were given a little book that I've brought along and would like to read to you this morning. It's about an an exuberant pig. So if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin. Uh, I Like Me by Nancy Carlson. I have a best friend. That best friend is me. I do fun things with me. I draw beautiful pictures. I ride fast. And I read good books with me. I like to take care of me. I brush my teeth. I keep clean and I eat good food. When I get up in the morning, I say, Hi, good looking. (laughs) I like my curly tail, my round tummy, and my tiny little feet. When I feel bad, I cheer myself up. When I fall down, I pick myself up. When I make mistakes, I try and try again. No matter where I go or what I do, I'll always be me. I like that. I should imagine that the Pharisee in the parable Jesus told had this story learned off by heart. He was an expert in liking himself and self-assertion and self-reliance. I have to tell you, I was appalled when I first read this book. I did not read it to my children, nor will I. Well, probably a bit old now, but... uh... Now, of course, I wanted my children to grow up knowing that they are special and unique. I wanted them always to know that they are loved loved by family and friends, and above all, loved by God. But I hope and pray that their best friend is never themselves. The only thing I did like about this dreadful book is the way the uh, Library of Congress has catalogued it. It shows great insights. It's listed under two headings. Uh, One, pigs fiction. (laughs) Two, self-reliance fiction. The seeming virtue of self-reliance is indeed fiction. Uh, And yet the message of our time is so often, seems to be, if you want to succeed, you must rely on yourself, take care of yourself, and so that your needs, your wants, your desires are the most important thing. And yet that message is, I believe, one of the great lies of our time that we must face. And we encounter it everywhere in our children's books, on TV, all over social media. Assert yourself, define yourself, believe in yourself. And the opposite of all of that, the true virtue of humility has been downgraded to the point that, well, we rather pity those who are humble and they are so easily passed over as being weak. When my children were much younger, we once had a handout for parents which said this of children. 
if they believe they are good, they will be good. And in another one, always remember, I am a good person and I like to be me. I will always tell my child that he, she is a good person. And sadly, over the years, I've heard lots of people suggest very similar things. But if that's true, if that's right, what on earth are you all doing here this morning? I mean, if we're basically good people, then what's the point of coming to confession each week? And if we are all good, why is the world in such a mess? Now, I realize as I look out that I'm speaking in in the company of quite a few people who know a great deal more about children's education than me. Uh, And I appreciate that how we speak to children, how we discipline children, and what we expect of children are important issues that I don't want to trivialize. I'm certainly not saying that we should stand over our children and tell them what terrible bad people they are. But what I do want to say to children and adults and anyone else who will listen is that God does not love us on the basis of our inherent goodness. Indeed, we could say rather he loves us despite our goodness, for our goodness falls so far short of God's goodness. And our motives are at best so often mixed. I mean, do you ever experience that? I I do. Let me give you an example. You know, when I come to stand in this pulpit, I I want to have the best motives. I want to be well prepared, and I want to be, uh, have prayed well. I want to speak clearly and faithfully. I want to have heard from God and be his messenger. All good motives, right? But it's more complicated than that. You see, motives are rarely that pure or simple. For alongside whatever may be good, well, I step into this pulpit and another motive is I I don't want to look like an idiot. So of course I'm going to prepare. If I say something that I think is funny, I hope you'll think it's funny. I hope you're going to think I'm a good preacher or at least, you know, half decent. I I hope my preaching won't be so terrible that you'll be asking me to leave or you'll leave. I hope that my preaching will be better than most. Uh, Those aren't quite such noble motives, are they? And yet they all get kind of intertwined together. And you know this if you you sing in the choir, if uh, if you perform on stage, if you're in court or in the hospital or at home or wherever, in our daily lives, we have so many mixed motives. The noble with the ignoble. My goodness isn't so good after all. Well, let me just share this. What I found helpful, because I can't really fix it. (laughs) So uh, what I try to do is um, kind of offer it all up to God. Um, all, All of the motives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and ask God to use me anyway. Well, the Pharisee in the story Jesus uh told was, by all accounts, a seemingly good person. After all, he was in the temple praying. He wasn't, so far as we know, and to use his words, a thief, a rogue, or an adulterer. And yet, his very goodness was a problem, for it led to his pride, as he thought he could rely on how good he was before God. Now, when we listen to this story, um, or my retelling of it to the children, it's hard not to be 
uh, struck by the arrogance of this man. I mean, can you imagine somebody actually, I mean, it's a story. It's not, a, it's not something that actually happened. It's, it's a story Jesus told to illustrate a point. But can you imagine if it did happen? You know, somebody prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, these rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Now, I should say, um, happily, I've never heard anyone pray like that here at Ascension. Thank God, at least, we're not like the Pharisee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and therein lies the problem. You may have heard me say this before, but if you hear a parable and you come away feeling good about yourself, you've probably missed the point or identified with the wrong character. I think probably when we heard the story, most of us didn't identify with the proud Pharisee saying how good he was, but rather with the humble tax collector. And that's fine, so long as in doing so, you don't end up being proud of your humility and feeling smug against the Pharisee. It's easy to do, though. It is. It's easy to look over our shoulder to see what others are doing or wondering what they're thinking instead of coming before God as we are. I think we've probably all played this game of relative thinking from time to time. And though we may not pray out loud in church for all to hear, don't we sometimes find ourselves comparing ourselves to others and chalking up a few points for ourselves because, well, at least we're not as bad as they are? All of us have a responsibility to humble ourselves before God. We need to look at ourselves honestly in comparison to, to God, not in comparison to others. How easily we get caught up with judging the sins of others rather than being penitent for our own. Perhaps the challenge to us this morning is to examine ourselves. And when we start to think of ourselves as better than others, take note for then we are in danger. It was the one who knew he was a sinner in this story about the Pharisee and the tax collector who found forgiveness. Jesus said that it was he who went home justified, not the Pharisee. And that was clearly good news for the tax collector, but it's also very good news for all who identify with the tax collector, for all who are conscious of their own shortcomings, their own failings, their own sinfulness, their own unworthiness. And the key to receiving God's mercy is not in the degree of goodness or badness on the part of the individual. Rather, it lies in a person's willingness or unwillingness to ask for God's mercy. One example is, of course, from the Old Testament, one of the heroes of the faith, King David, who reminds us in Psalm 51, a psalm he wrote after he was guilty of adultery, if not rape and murder. He writes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These statements each represent a countercultural narrative to the one in which we live. 
they certainly run contrary to the I like me approach that we began with. The poor in spirit, like the tax collector, realize that they are not in and of themselves worthy of God's love or forgiveness or acceptance. They cannot come to God boasting of their goodness or achievements or anything else. All they can do is ask for mercy. The tax collector was mourning the state he was in. He knew he was a selfish swindler, and he grieved his wretched state. And in that grieving, in that true self-awareness, he finds forgiveness and blessing. And so he goes home justified. I was taught as a child that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And he went home justified, not because he'd tithed or fasted or hadn't committed any grievous crimes. Obviously, he had. But because he asked for God's mercy, he prayed out of his desperation. He was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Not a righteousness that comes from himself. He knew he didn't have that. What he needed was a righteousness that comes from God. God's generosity and mercy reaches out to the lost, and it is received only by those who acknowledge their need of that mercy. I think there are some who honestly think that asking for mercy and coming to God for help is a sign of weakness or or a crutch for those who can't make it themselves. And if that's what people think of me, then I would have to say, guilty as charged. You're right. I can't make it by myself. I think there's great strength in admitting our weakness. There is wisdom in knowing that we're not wise. Let us never try to justify ourselves before God like the Pharisee in the parable but rather submit ourselves to God like the tax collector. One of the great paradoxes of Christian faith is that those who humble themselves will be exalted. It wasn't the self-assertive, self-righteous man who went home justified. It was the one who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. At the end of the day, self-reliance is a tragic fiction that will get you nowhere. And contrary to the message of the I Like Me book, you don't have to have yourself as your own best friend. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. And he makes a much better and more trustworthy friend than we can ever be for ourselves. And when you feel bad, you don't have to just cheer yourself up. After all, perhaps you feel bad because of something truly bad that you have done. Or because of something truly bad that has been done to you. Our hope and our joy comes when we put our trust in God, not when we try and try and try again. So when we make mistakes, when we fail God and those we love, first, we come to God as we are, messed up, broken. And in humility, we dare to pray, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner.
It's only when we're prepared to rely on God rather than ourselves that we can receive his mercy. Only then does God forgive us, restore us, and use us in his kingdom. In the last verse of Psalm 84, which we read together earlier, the psalmist declares, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who puts his trust in you. This is the key to coming into God's presence. But you know, trusting God can be hard because by nature, we like to try and rely on ourselves. And so it's actually easy for us to be like the Pharisee in today's parable. And so we do the things that he did, fasting, giving, not getting into trouble. And and these are good things. But they're not things that we should rely upon in place of putting our trust in God. Of course, the other things are more tangible, aren't they? And so we can give money or time and effort and we can make something happen and then we can feel good about that. But I think the starting point has to be again and again this recognition that in our own strength, we can't really make anything happen, not in an eternal sense. You know, at at Ascension, we could have all of the ESL classes or all the community groups or all the structures and all these different things and yet still be far from God and his purposes for our lives if we're not putting our trust in him, if we're not coming to him meekly. When King Solomon finished building the temple in all its splendor and glory, and after it had been dedicated to God, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And in that dream, God reminded him of something very important. God said, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, coming to God in humble prayer is not just something for the very bad or the very weak. It is the place where we all need to come. Jesus said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This does not mean that we sit back and declare ourselves useless, not at all. The response required from each of us, having received God's mercy and forgiveness, is to offer everything back to God, all that we are and all that we have. And we know, for example, that Solomon invested a huge amount of time and effort and money into the building of that temple. We know that at least one tax collector, not in a parable this time, but actually uh, Zacchaeus, after coming face to face with Jesus, gave away half of his possessions to the poor. And he repaid fourfold the people he defrauded. And so today, God still calls us to give of our time and our energy and our money, but the calling is to do so humbly and with grateful hearts. So let's never succumb to the temptation to put our trust in ourselves, our own righteousness, our own abilities, our own plans. But let us always come to God with a right sense of who we are before him, created in his image, unique, beloved, yet not good or worthy in ourselves, 
but sinners in need of God's mercy made righteous and good and worthy only through Christ. Thanks be to God.